Uh, it is good to be uh, together this morning. You know, whether you've been around Hope for a while, uh, you've been coming for a while, or maybe this is your first time, um, that's awesome. We, I just want you to know this morning, and uh, we as a congregation just want you to know, you are welcome here. And, and I don't know if it's just kind of assumed at a lot of places, I think, but we just want you to know that. Whether this is your hundredth time or this is your first time today, um, you are welcome here. And we love uh, worshiping together, and uh, we just really pray that you can feel at home here. We want you to feel like you can be yourself, uh, like you can be real, and that's what we're about at Hope, is just being real, uh, being real people before the real God, and that's what we're after. And uh, we believe that God, God loves us right where we're at, wherever you are this morning. God loves you right where you're at, and no matter what's going on in your life, um, but he wants you to know him in a deeper way, and that's why we're here this morning, and uh, we want to experience everything that God has for us. And so since the beginning of the year, uh, we've been reading through the Bible at Hope, at all our campuses in Ankeny and West Des Moines and here at City Branch. Uh, we've started in the New Testament, and we're going through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels means good news. And so we're in the Gospel of John right now, and hopefully you've been following along with the, the weekly readings. If you haven't, uh, just flip your bulletin over, and they're on the back every single week. There's reading. So if you want to read through the Bible with us, it's not too late to start. Uh, jump in, and that's a great way uh, to stay connected with God during the week. It doesn't take long at all, um, but it can be a powerful uh, way of beginning your day or ending your day or however you want to do that. But we just really encourage you to do that so that when you come here on Sundays, that this is just a supplement to what you've already been doing. This is the only, isn't the only time you crack that Bible open uh, this week. Uh, it would be our hope that we would ruin these Bibles because we wear them out because we're opening and closing them uh, so much and then we can get new ones. So uh, take the Bible home with you today uh, if you don't have one. And uh, a, big, a big part of what we're doing with Year of the Bible uh, is small groups. And we talked a little bit about that earlier. We're going to be kicking off new, new small groups after Easter. Um, I just want to really encourage you to look into that. If this is, you're just new here today or if you've been coming for a while and you've enjoyed it, but you're having trouble really feeling connected and getting to know some people, small groups is just an excellent way to do that. And maybe if you're brand new, being in a small group might seem a little scary. Or uh, if you're Maybe you're really, really busy and you're thinking, wow, I just don't have time for one more thing. Uh, it would be our hope that community and, and small group and that, that group of people would not just be one more thing for your life, but it would be a vital and integral part of your life. We are better together and we were, we were not made to do the Christian life to follow Jesus alone. And so I just really want to encourage you uh, in that today to, to get involved uh, with a small group. We have groups for all different ages um, and some awesome leaders that would love to get to know you uh, more. And, and for those of you that are currently in small groups, which I know a lot of you are, um, I want to encourage you to keep going. Keep going. Don't, don't give up. Sometimes uh, the, the hecticness and the craziness of life can get in the way and we just think, well, I'll just miss this week. I'll just miss next week because there's always something that's going to come up. But I really want to encourage you uh, to keep going in that. Uh, we believe that God's word is powerful. And that's why we're doing it in small groups is that it changes us and we were never meant to do it alone. And so we pray that it would become uh, an, an essential part of your life. Uh, our passage from God's word that we're going to look at today is from John chapter 9. But before we dive into that, I want us to start in the Old Testament. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to get a little bit of context to what's going on. Isaiah 42. If you don't have one, go ahead and look on, uh, 
with the people that are around you. Uh, we're going to be looking up lots of different verses today, so you want to just keep those Bibles open. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. It's going to be in the Old Testament, so it's going to be in the front half of your Bible. Um, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. If you, if you haven't read the Old Testament for a while, I want to encourage you to do so. If you're reading through the Bible with us uh, at Hope with this year of the Bible and you're just reading through the New Testament, even if you're not reading the Old Testament, go back to it once in a while because it's just it's going to illuminate all these stories that we're reading, especially as we're going through the Gospels. Half of what Jesus says is not Jesus' words. <laughs> it's been said before. And Jesus is saying, I'm the guy. I'm it. And so we really want to encourage you to read uh, through uh, the Old Testament as well. And so today's passage from John chapter 9 is about a man that was uh, miraculously healed by Jesus, as Mark read for us. And this story, as, as well as many other stories, are deeply rooted, and as many other passages are, in the Old Testament. You're not going to fully understand what's going on in the New Testament if you don't spend some time in the Old Testament. The books of the prophets, which Isaiah is, which we're at right now, uh, Isaiah was a prophet, point to a light that's going to come. Point to a light that's going to shine in the darkness. And as you read the Gospels, you can't help but see Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. That's why reading the Old Testament illuminates the New Testament so much because 75% of what Jesus says is just saying, I'm the guy. I'm the one that the Old Testament is pointing to. I'm the one that you've been waiting in expectation for. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. If you've got it, say, I'm there. Okay. Starting in verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And so what we see here is hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene, God is promising us uh, to his people that his mission is going to be focused on bringing light into darkness, to bring sight to the blind. Not only physically, but he's talking about something much deeper here, spiritually. To open people's eyes, not only in a physical sense, which he does later in the Gospels as we see today, but to open people's eyes to see who this God is really is. Jesus reveals who God is as a human, to open our eyes to those places in our lives where we might be blind. So let's stay in Isaiah and remember that. Now let's flip ahead to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 verse 1. Once again, you're going to see these very familiar themes all throughout the prophets, pointing to a Messiah, pointing to a Savior, pointing to one who would bring light into the darkness. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Once again, the prophet Isaiah is cluing us in on what this Messiah is going to be like when he comes. That his, his heart, that his mission, that his focus will be on the people that are broken, will be on the people that are, are captive to something, the people that are, are sitting in darkness, the people that have something in their life that they just can't get away from. This Messiah is going to change the world. 
So with that context, with Isaiah, and those are just two of many passages all throughout the Old Testament that are all pointing to Jesus. So now, let's flip ahead to John chapter 9, to our scripture for today, where our reading is from. And as we've seen before, as we are walking through the gospel stories, Jesus, from the moment he begins his ministry, starts to fulfill all these prophecies, these prophecies that we just read in Isaiah. They're all pointing to Jesus. But from the moment that Jesus begins his ministry, he starts shattering everyone's expectations of who they thought this Messiah was going to be. He's not going to be a big, strong king that comes on a horse with a sword and destroys the Roman Empire, and that's how he's going to change the world. But what we start to see, and hopefully as you've been reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now in John, we see that Jesus is changing the world, but he's not doing it as a dictator. He's not doing it as a powerful king that's going to annihilate all his enemies. Jesus comes as a healer. He comes as a teacher. He comes as someone that, that is willing to kneel down and look us in the eyes and meet us right where we're at. Jesus spends so much of his ministry with individuals. Yeah, he spends it with the large crowds, but Jesus comes not as a powerful king, a ruler, a dictator that's going to take over the world, but he comes as someone that's going to change the world through love and that's going to change the world through service. Jesus comes to people in the Bible and he comes to you and I today in a very personal way. And so today, in our scripture from John chapter 9, Jesus comes to this man that was blind and he gives him back his sight because sometimes you and I can be blind as well. This past week, I was headed outside uh, to get some exercise, to head down to a school on a basketball court that's, that's near uh, where I live. And so uh, I was really excited, and I had my shorts and t-shirt on for the first time, as I'm sure many of you have broken out your spring and summer wardrobes uh, from the closet this week. And I had my shorts and t-shirt on, and I had my basketball, and I was so excited, and I wasn't even thinking about where I was going. And I was headed to the basketball court, and I kind of came around the turn, and the hoop was in my sight, and I was really excited to get there. And you know, sometimes you're just thinking about what's ahead of you, and you're not really focusing on what's around you. And so I'm going along, thinking I'm really cool, and there's some cars driving by, and they're like, man, that guy must be a good basketball player. So I'm dribbling and going around my back and trying to avoid the cracks and going in and out of people's yards. No, not really. And I'm, and I'm driving down the sidewalk with the basketball, and I'm just looking straight ahead, like, I'm going to take this ball, and I'm just going to take it all the way to that hoop, and I'm totally focused, and all of a sudden, I'm running, and I just biff it right on the sidewalk. And I, I, you kind of had to be there, but it's, it's kind of funny. So I'm, I'm just dribbling down, and I just biff it, and before I know it, I'm just, I'm just rolling on the sidewalk and just trying to catch my feet. And you know like when you're in public, and you trip, but then you try to catch yourself and act like you really didn't, you know, like, oh, I was picking up my contact or something, you know, like that's kind of what I did. Cause I saw these cars going by and I was run, I was running. And I, I totally stumbled. I mean, I totally biffed it. And so I'm like going like this and then I just kind of, kind of went into a little jog like that. And then, and then the cars are going by and I, I see this guy drive by. He's got his arm out the window and he's just kind of looking at me. I'm like, yeah, just going for a jog. Um, humbling experience. Um, but sometimes you and I are blind to the things around us as well. Sometimes we're so focused and we put these blinders on even spiritually, not only physically is that if, you know, if I would have seen what was around me, I would have noticed the large landscaping brick that was protruding from the neighbor's house that I tripped over. But I was so focused 
on looking ahead that I wasn't focused on my surroundings. Sometimes you and I can be blind to things as well. It's important for us to see the big picture of what's going on in our lives. And likewise, in John chapter 9, we're not just talking here about physical blindness. Jesus takes it to a deeper level with two encounters of spiritual blindness and sight. And so if you look at John chapter 9 as a whole, not just the scripture that we heard for today, but if you look at all of John chapter 9, what we're going to see is two very similar stories, but one moves from blindness to sight, and another story moves from sight to essentially blindness. We're going to read about a blind man who moves from blindness to sight, and we're going to read about the Pharisees who actually move from sight to blindness, as Jesus calls them out. So let's look at this story together, starting in verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light that shines in the darkness. Sound familiar? Sound familiar to Isaiah? And so for Jesus, it's not even about the question here that we see. It's not about who sinned. The disciples are all worried about the law. They're all worried about how this man sinned so that he became blind. But Jesus said it's not even about that. What it's about is that there's work to be done. God's mission, Jesus' mission, is to bring healing and restoration to this world. It's not about who sinned. It's about the God who can heal. So continuing on in verse 6. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, which is kind of gross, but he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Jesus is about changing lives. And as we read in stories like this, we can't help but notice that the people that encounter Jesus are never the same. People that encounter Jesus in the Bible don't go home the same. An important thing for us to remember as we read these stories is not just to stop right there at the miracle. It would be tempting to because the miracle is kind of the cool part of the story. Maybe some of those are the stories that you learned in Sunday school. And we stop right there. And that's the really cool part. But in this case, as in many of the encounters that Jesus has with people in the Gospels, the journey after the miracle is what brings the lasting change. What happens after the miracle is just as important, if not more important, to the long-term lasting change that the people experience. And so I said there's two different stories within chapter 9, so let's first look at the story of the blind man. So we see that this blind man is healed with mud and saliva from Jesus. Different every time. And so what we see, though, is that after that happens, after he's healed, the blind man has several different encounters before he finally meets Jesus again at the end of chapter 9. So let's look through this. His first encounter is with his neighbors and some friends. Uh, Verse 35, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? But then the blind man, who now has sight, but he himself insisted, I am the man. So his friends and neighbors said to them, 
said to him in verse 10, excuse me, yeah, verse 10, how, how then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and he put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. The important thing to notice right here, just pause for a second at this part, part of the story. At this point, the man doesn't know a lot. All that he knows is what happened. So all he can do is really tell the story, right? Some of you have maybe had a miraculous thing happen in your life. You've had a supernatural encounter. Something happened to you. And you don't know what it was. Maybe it was before you believed in God. Maybe something's happened in your life recently. You're like, I don't quite know what that is. I don't know if it's God, if it's Jesus, if it's the Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going on. But I know that something's different in my life. And that's the way it happens for a lot of people. It's a journey. It's not a one-time faith experience. And so at this point, we know that the man knows something incredible happened, but he's not quite sure who Jesus is. Notice he just says, all I know, there's a man named Jesus. He put some mud on my eyes. I went and washed, and now I can see. That's all I know. Don't ask me any more questions. I plead the fifth. Um, But notice he gets some slack from his friends. And his only response at this point is to just tell the story. That's all he knows. So that's his first encounter. His second encounter is with the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day. And so in verse 13, uh, the Pharisees are all upset because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is this day that God has set aside for us, his people, to rest, not to do any work. And so the Pharisees hold this command so strictly that even to heal someone was work. And that's why they were upset at Jesus, because he did work to heal this man's eyes. But you think about how absurd that is. Jesus has the power to heal someone, but no, I'm sorry, I can't heal you today. You'll have to be blind for another day. I'll come back. Imagine how absurd that is. And so the Pharisees are all upset that Jesus healed on on the Sabbath. And so never mind with the Pharisees that this man is blind, but now he can see. We'll get to their blindness in a second. But in verse 17... Finally, they turned again to the blind man. These are the Pharisees talking to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. He's a prophet. So the man, we know, is on a journey. He's exploring who Jesus might be. And he now has a little bit better idea because all these people ask him questions. And obviously there's something different about Jesus. And now the blind man is thinking, wow, maybe he's not just a nice guy Maybe there's something different about him. Maybe he's from God, which is what prophets were. They were mouthpieces for God, essentially. So you can start to see that this man's eyes are not only open physically, but he's starting to have his eyes opened spiritually to see who this God might be. So maybe the journey isn't just about his physical blindness. So that was the second encounter with the Pharisees. The third encounter he has, the next encounter is when the Pharisees actually go and get his parents. Uh Uh-oh. And so his parents are asked, is this your son? The Pharisees asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? In verse 19. And so the parents respond and they say, well, we know it's him. Uh, It's our kid. I guess we'll claim him. Uh, But they didn't say anything more because the parents are afraid of what the Pharisees might think. The parents are afraid that if they say, Oh yeah, it's Jesus, and he does miracles, and actually he's smarter and better and more powerful than Caesar. And that's not going to go over so well. So they're a little bit afraid. They're acting out of fear, and so all, they throw it back to their son. Well, uh, son, why don't you tell him? And so then they asked him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? To which the blind man responds. And let's, uh, let's read this together. I don't know. Do we have it up on the screen? Maybe we don't have it up on the screen. Uh, verse 27. Let's read this together. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why did you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Notice the end of that phrase right there. Do you want to become his disciples too? Notice his response. This man is starting to see that there might be something more than just, oh, I got healed. That's great. There's something more than just seeing physically, but he's starting to move towards this idea of actually following Jesus. Do you want it to become his disciples too? So John, the writer of the gospel, is actually inferring something here. The blind man is inferring something for us here, that he's starting to move towards following Jesus. He wants to know more. He's exploring. He's asking questions. His eyes are opening even more. A while later, the blind man finally encounters the Pharisees again, who continue to doubt and question him. So verse 32 uh, says, the Pharisees say, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, referring to Jesus, he could do nothing. And so there's this transformation occurring. The blind man says, I, I, I don't know what happened, that he just put some mud on my eyes. And now the blind man is saying, uh, he's a prophet. And now the blind man is saying, oh, he actually might be God. He actually might be God. His eyes are open. He's becoming receptive to God moving in his life. There's this transformation occurring. It's about the journey And aren't you glad we didn't just stop after his eyes were opened physically? There's a journey here. And finally, the last encounter that he has, he encounters his friends and neighbors, he encounters the Pharisees, he encounters his parents, back to the Pharisees. And finally, he gets kicked out of the synagogue because the Pharisees think, you think this guy's God, well, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And finally, after he's kicked out, Jesus finds him. And so in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Now imagine if Jesus would have come up to the blind man right after he healed him and said, do you believe in the son of man? The blind guy would have been like, what? Who are you? Who's the son of man? What's going on here? But Jesus has taken him on this journey and he's had these encounters. And so now his eyes are starting to open. His heart's a little bit more receptive and Jesus can say, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. He's the one standing next to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. The movement from sight, from blindness to sight, the movement from darkness to light for this man has obviously much more to do with his heart than just with his eyes. Jesus doesn't just want to heal us physically. Jesus wants to transform our hearts. And the truth is, as we see all throughout Scripture, and the truth remains for every single one of us today, people with open, humble hearts will be changed. People that have humble, open hearts that are receptive to God will change. The light is always going to shine in the darkness. 
So that's the first story. That's the first movement that we see in John chapter 9. And it's one that moves from darkness to light, from blindness to sight, from disbelief to faith. But there's another movement that is going on within John chapter 9, one that is essentially sight to blindness. It's an opposite journey and one that deals with spiritual blindness. At the end of John chapter 9, go all the way to the end of chapter 9, there's a different kind of blindness going on, and it's that of the Pharisees. Let's look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and that those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this, heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? We're the religious leaders of the day. We follow the law upside and backwards and inside out. We, we know the law. We have it all together. Are you saying that we're blind How dare you accuse us of that? And Jesus responds to them in verse 41. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you see, your guilt remains. These are not nice, soft words from Jesus. He's going right at the Pharisees and confronting them. Jesus' message to the Pharisees is this. Rely on your own light and you're blind. Rely on your own ability to see clearly in this world, and you're always going to fall short. The blind man went on a journey with Jesus, and he was questioning and exploring, and he wound up seeing the Savior. The Pharisees instead thought they knew who the Savior was. They thought they had it all together, and the Pharisees were the ones that ended up blind. Two very opposite attitudes of the heart toward Jesus. Two very different results. Where are you still blind today? What are the things that you're maybe blind to in your own life that are keeping you from experiencing the light and the life and the freedom and the peace that Jesus has for you today? Who can you identify with in this story in John chapter 9? Where are you blind Maybe you're like the neighbors of the blind man who who are caught up in doubt and that's their blindness. Maybe you're thinking, oh, Jesus, he really couldn't forgive what I've done, right? Jesus wouldn't understand where I've been lately. Jesus doesn't really heal people anymore, does he? So maybe it's doubt. Or maybe instead you're like the parents. Maybe you're like the parents who, who chose to live in fear instead of belief. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not ready to, to give my life completely over to Jesus because that means I might have to change and that might, means I might have to give up control of things that I want to be control of, in control of in my own life. I'm a little fearful of what might change in my life if I give Jesus the reins. So maybe it's doubt, maybe it's fear, or maybe you're like the Pharisees and your blindness is pride. And maybe that's getting in the way of you seeing Jesus clearly today. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm pretty content with where I'm at. I think I can see pretty clearly. My eyes are wide open. I don't, I don't need the light to shine into my life. I don't, I don't really need the light to shine into my marriage. Everything's pretty good. I don't, I don't really need freedom for that addiction. Actually, you know what? It's not even addiction. I, w- I, would, I would even call it that. I, I, I can see my faults. I'm a pretty humble person. I can see... Um, I, I, I think I got things figured out with my finances. Things are, things are just fine at work. 
Every, everything's good there. Uh, I, yeah, I've got some things going on in some relationships, but I can take care of that by myself. I don't need the light to shine. I can see. I, I, I can see. I, I can see. Jesus says, but now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Where are you blind today? What are the areas of your life where the light needs to shine? And I want you to know this morning that no matter where those areas of your life are that you're still not seeing clearly, that you maybe still feel a little bit lost and confused in the darkness today, today it's not about your lack of ability to see. It's about the one who is light and who provides that light for you to see. It's about the one that comes and frees us from the darkness. Jesus comes into the darkest places of our lives. And he says, let me be your light. Stop trying to figure it out on your own. Let me be the light that shines into your darkness. Jesus says, let me be your light. I have a light for you that is so much better than anything, than anything you could provide for yourself. So much better than any light that you could shine on your own. Many years ago, Uh, Now, when I was a little boy, our family was taking a camping trip in the mountains. And I remember going on a long hike with my dad into the woods just after supper. And we must have hiked from miles and miles and miles to a scenic overlook. My dad loves scenic overlooks, looking over the foothills of the mountains. We must have hiked for miles. And and as we hiked and then we, we started to come back, it got darker and darker and darker. And somehow I didn't, you know, realize at that point in my life as a little boy that, well, the sun goes down and it's not going to stay light. And when you come back, it's going to be dark. And so as a little boy, I was terribly afraid of the dark, especially when you're in a woods all by yourself. And I remember being so afraid that we would never make it back alive. And you know, when you're, when you're little and you had all those nightmares and all those dreams and you had all those ideas that, that, you know, I think I thought that day that we were going to be on the cover of like the national Enquirer or something like bear eats men in the woods or something like that. I, I was, I was so scared uh, that I would end up in one of those stories that would be shared at campfires about how these two guys wandered off in the woods and they never came back. And I was so scared. But as it got darker and I, as I got more scared, I remember my dad pulling out his trusty flashlight that he had had for 20 years and it still worked just as good as the day he bought it. And he pointed it ahead of us on the path. And even though I had no idea where we were headed, I had no idea how we were going to make it home out of the darkness that night. I remember a phrase that my dad used to say to me over and over and over as we walk back, as we hike back through the woods that night together. John, follow me, stay in the light, and we'll make it home. Follow me, stay in the light, and we're going to make it home. But, but, but Dad, I don't, I don't know what's ahead on the path, and I'm really scared of the dark. Follow me. Stay in the light, and we'll make it home. But, Dad, the, the campfire's got to be so far away. Are we ever going to make it back? I mean, there's probably bears and lions and tigers and wolves and wild things in the woods. Follow me. Stay in the light, 
and will make it home. No matter what blindness, no matter what darkness you find yourself in today, know that Jesus is not only the light of the world, he's the light of your world. It's for you. Follow him. Stay in the light. And he'll lead you home. He'll lead you to the life that you were created for.